Today's reading is Colossians 2, 6 through 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Thank you, Catherine, for that reading. I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll get into the sermon this morning. So let's pray. God, you are a God who speaks. You are faithful to do that. Help us to be people who are receptive, who listen, who hear. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for Grace Long Beach. Thank you for this family. God, you've brought us together for your purposes in this city. And it's a gift. It's a gift to be to be part of a group of people, Father, that, that you are helping to use to shape and form us into your likeness. God, I ask that as we, as we listen to your word and as we wrestle through what it is you're calling us to do, that we might be people who are, are rightly convicted and also rightly encouraged. Because your word does that. You do that. You are that type of God. So help us to be in a posture and a place where we can receive what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few months back, uh, Beth, Will, and I, we talked about something like a ministry framework that helps to give shape to what we do at Grace, what we want to do at Grace, decisions we want to make at Grace. And that was uh, a, in the shape of a triangle. And the three sides of that triangle, we talked about story, formation, and mission. And so we spent the last couple months talking about story, looking at the biblical narrative. What does it mean that this is the story that we've been given that's the true story of the whole world that we're called to live into and live out of? We've been looking at that. This long-standing, grand narrative of the world that we somehow find ourselves part of. 
Well, now we're going to go and transition into looking at the formational aspect of that triangle. And the way to think about this is, is if we have a narrative, and this, I think I've shared this before, but it's a really good analogy. If we have a, a narrative that's been given, people have thought of the church as, as if we are living in like a five-act play. So we've been handed a five-act play. The thing is, is we actually have the first three acts, the final fifth act, but we're in the middle of the fourth act. So we've been handed this narrative, this story, and we as the church, as God's people, are now called to improvise in that fourth act. We're called to be actors in the play, and we know what's come before, and we know what will be, but we're actually in the middle of something being written. Now, if that feels messy and complicated and completely confusing, then that should actually narrate the way we feel about life. Because we are actors in a narrative, and we are actually attempting to be faithful improvisers as the church. See, we know the first three acts. We know where it's all headed. But we're living in the midst of the fourth. And so the question is, which is, that's a great analogy, the question is though, how are we going to be actors that are actually faithful improvisers? How do we become people who know how to be good actors? How do we become people who know how to improvise well, who actually take what we've been given and live faithfully in response to it, moving toward faithfully of what the end will be? How do we become those types of people, those types of Christians? Well, this spiritual formation aspect actually touches on this. It speaks to this. How do we become the type of people who are able to embody the story well that we've been given and live faithfully in the midst of now as we live and move toward what the future will be? And so this morning, I want to talk about three aspects of formation. Formation as reality, formation as invitation, and then formation as participation. Formation as reality, as invitation, and as participation. So formation as reality, what do I mean by this? What I mean by this is we're being formed all the time. Whether or not you think you are undergoing spiritual formation, it is happening to you. Right now, you are being formed. How do I know that? Because you are having thoughts and you are having desires. And those form us, they direct us, they lead us in certain ways. The question is not if we're being formed, but to what or to whom are we being formed? I mean, listen to Colossians 2. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I'm actually gonna be reading a lot of scripture over you this morning, but we'll begin here in Colossians 2. Now, you've probably heard in the Bible language like things don't, don't live out of the flesh or put off your old self, put on the new self. You were taught this way, but now live this way. This is speaking to this type of reality that we are being formed all of the time. Colossians 2, verse 11. I want to start in verse 9. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh 
in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. So there's this sense in which there are two types of realities that we can be living in. One is directed toward the flesh, the other one is directed toward Christ, living out of the reality of who Jesus is. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12, this should be familiar to many of you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So formation, spiritual formation is a given reality. It is already happening. It has already taken place. Again, the question is to whom or to what are we being formed? which I pose to you. To whom or to what are you being formed? Someone who talks about the spiritual life, his name's Robert Mulholland, says this, spiritual formation is not an option. The inescapable conclusion is that life itself is a process of spiritual development. The only choice we have is whether that growth moves us toward wholeness in Christ or toward an increasingly dehumanized and destructive mode of being. Man, those options are stark, either toward wholeness in Christ or toward an increasingly dehumanized and destructive mode of being. And so because we are living in this narrative and because we are called to be actors who are learning to improvise given the story that we have, it matters the type of people we're becoming because it matters how we will improvise and whether we will be faithful improvisers or whether we will be unfaithful improvisers, whether we will be people who know what to do given different decisions that are made that seem outside of our control, i.e. this week, or other decisions that we have control over. It matters the type of people we're becoming because it matters the type of beliefs we have, but also the types of people who hold the beliefs we have. That makes a difference, and that matters, and it's happening all the time. What we, what we train ourselves to be thinking about, what we're imagining, what we're desiring, those affect the type of people that we are. And the question is, are we living according to the flesh, or are we living according to the spirit? And this is where it's important to talk about formation as invitation, because we've been invited already into a reality because of the person of Jesus. We've been invited to be formed by the Spirit of God, by Christ's very Spirit within us, which sounds crazy and completely confusing, but it's true. If somehow, if I entrust myself to Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God is at work within me, forming my inner being, somehow transforming me into the likeness of Jesus. And that's happening to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. But this is invitation. This has already taken place. I'm going to read Colossians 2, 6 through 15 again, and I want you to listen to the reality 
of what has already happened because of the person of Jesus. Let it wash over you. This isn't something provisional that might happen. Because of what God has done in Jesus, this is what has happened. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity, deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in Him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him. When He forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Thanks be to God, that is all true. These are the things that are true because of what God has done in Jesus. Not maybe, not possibly, but if you've entrusted your life to Jesus, this is what is actually true of your life. God has canceled the debt. You have been buried with him. You have been, been made alive with him. All true, all fact. And because that's fact, we're invited into a reality of spiritual formation already at work. The Spirit of God forming us into the likeness of Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Fact. True. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and all of us, Paul says, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Fact. True. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to the completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Fact. True. This is what's actually true of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus. The Spirit of God is already at work in your life. And if it feels like there's, there are competing allegiances, it's because there are. Because it matters that we are becoming people who are formed by the Spirit, but it also it has, we're living with this whole other way of being that we're needing to, out, to unlearn as we learn a new way with Jesus. One of my favorite shows is Barry. It's an HBO show. This is not a recommendation. I'm done doing that. Um, but this show is, I think, a remarkable take on, on formation, spiritually or malformations, like spiritual malformation. But it's about this person who is a hitman, who has a midlife crisis, and then discovers acting as if that's going to be the answer to all of his problems. He's finally found it. The beautiful thing about the show is that the beginning of the show is exactly where Barry should be. 
he is completely dissatisfied with the life that he lives because he's a hitman. But he discovers this, this thing that he wants to give himself to. And as he's learning this, this craft, he begins to discover these, these are actually people that I want to be with. This is a way that I can somehow discover who, what, what's going on inside. But he cannot outlive the person that he's already become. He can't. The beautiful thing about stories like this, stories like Breaking Bad, stories like Ozark, all these stories that somehow we love is because there are terrible people that find themselves in situations where it seems like the choices are a bad choice or a worse choice. And we are watching them hoping that they make the bad choice. But it almost seems like these choices are inevitable, as if they couldn't help themselves. This is just what they have to do. But see, Barry has this mantra. He does something that he doesn't like, that he regrets. He closes his eyes, and he says, starting now. Starting now. As if that was the last time. But now I'm going to be better. And of course, there are three seasons of the show, so you know that there is no starting now. But it's the struggle. And do you feel like a starting now Christian? I do. I live my life. Turns out I realize the type of person I am but wish I wasn't. I talk to somebody unkindly. I think about, I think about people a certain way. And I discover, wow, I'm a type of person that thinks about people that way. And then I think, starting now. Because the struggle of outliving who we've become is real. And what Barry shows us is that it's actually impossible alone. It's actually impossible to unbecome who you've become by yourself. Which is why it is great news that Colossians tells us of a reality that we have been invited into a formative way of life that the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is capable of enacting and completing and doing. That's good news. The Spirit of God is at work in you and me and in us, forming us all the time. But we're also called to be people who participate in that work. So yes, there's formation as invitation. We've been invited into a work that's already going. But there's formation as participation. It's a work that we are invited and called to participate in. in. We have a body, we have a mind, we have desires, how we use these things, how these things are shaped and in what direction actually matters to the type of process that the Spirit is working within us. Because sometimes we work with the Spirit and you know it and you feel it and you experience the goodness of that and sometimes you know you work against it. You know what the Spirit is calling you to and you say, no thanks. Maybe not explicitly, but maybe sometimes explicitly. You say no thanks and you go a different way. 
Because the Christian life is either one of open hands and entrusting ourselves to God and to the work of Christ in our lives, or holding on and grasping to the type of life I think is best. That is the struggle of the Christian life. And we are called to participate in the work of the Spirit. Again, Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, listen to this language, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. So, there's a reality of what has already happened we've been invited to. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, but you need to continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him. We're going to look at Colossians 3 next week, but it's this idea, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've been, you've been you've dead with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, now you're to put off the old self, and you're to clothe yourself, put on the new self. Again, there's this active, participatory way that we are and have in this life that we call the Christian life. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And read that again. I, Paul is saying, therefore the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, Ephesians 1 through 3 speaks about this incredible reality of what God has done in Jesus. And then Paul says, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Yes, we've been invited into a life, but then we're called to lead a life that is in step with that life. Galatians 5 has this language of, if, if you are to walk by the Spirit, then live by the Spirit. You are no longer prisoners, but you are free. But here's the way to live into that freedom. See, the Christian life is one of, again, invitation and participation. Jesus in John 15 says, remain in my love. Jesus saying, I love you, invitation, but then there is this participatory reality, but you are called to abide in that love, remain in that love. And this is why the Christian life is so challenging. So if you feel like, man, why is it so hard to be a Christian? This is why. Because there is both a spiritual reality and there is an embodied reality. And Jesus is wanting to integrate those entire things. Our whole life is one of that type of process. And this is why language here at Grace, when we talk about spiritual formation, we talk about learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus. If you want to know what it means to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit, look at Jesus because that is what he did. Jesus shows us the way to live in the kingdom that is a reality now. Not completely, not wholly, but is still reality now. And we can look at Jesus to show us what it means and looks like to live in that reality. We have Jesus' sermons that remind us that Jesus is after the whole heart. It doesn't matter 
or it does, but it doesn't matter entirely what's happening externally if internally things are not being cleaned and cleansed and transformed. That's what Jesus is after. And that's why Jesus calls us to come, to follow him, to learn from him. We need to learn how to improvise in the way that Jesus would. And he's given us his spirit to help us do that. He's given us a reality that we don't have to be start now Christians because it's already started. It's already started. Let us look to Jesus, the one who knows best how to live. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. This is the message version. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Do you believe that that's true? How many of us need our life recovered? Do you believe that getting away with Jesus is actually the answer to that recovery? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I mean, again, spiritual formation is invitation. Jesus says, come to me. I will, I will show you how to recover your life. I will give you a real rest, complete invitation. But then participation, learn from me. The unforced rhythms of grace. Take a walk with me, watch me. Our participation in the spiritual formation process. Often, we want to be people who choose one over the other. As if we think, oh no, it's completely all about grace. Absolutely, 100%. What I'm saying is not in tension with grace at all. I mean, Bonhoeffer had this famous term of, of costly grace. That it actually is very costly. That grace has paid the actual price to help us live the life that we have. But we think it's all about grace. It doesn't matter how... I participate or what I'm doing. I mean, I don't know how many people actually think that, but I know I come from, I've come from a, a long line of, of people who either have that view or this sense of, you just need to work harder. Yeah, well, grace is great, but what you actually need to do is just be different and be better. I've tried that for 40 years, and it is not working. And some of you have tried that for much longer. And you know that that's not working. Dallas Willard says this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. See, we have nothing to earn. We've been given everything we already need. We were prisoners who are now set free the shackles taken off, and we are free to live in the way of grace. Again, Dallas Willard says this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the fruit of the Spirit. 
as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. From the inward character, the deeds of love, the naturally but supernaturally and transparently flow. Of course, there will always be room for improvement, so we need not worry that we will become perfect. He actually adds, in the next month or week, something like that. Of course, there will always be room for improvement, so we need not worry that we will become perfect. Our aim is to be pervasively possessed by Jesus through constant companionship with him. I mean, doesn't that sound like a life that is worth living? Life that sounds like actual rest? A life that, that recognizes that we have nothing to earn, but that also calls us as embodied people to live in step with the Spirit, being pervasively possessed by Jesus through constant companionship with Him? This is the life we as Christians are called to. This is the life that we have the opportunity to live into. And if we're going to be a church who knows the story well, but also becomes the type of people who can improvise within that story well, then this matters. How we're being formed matters. And so I want to end with a few questions. Questions to assess maybe where you are and what you need to remember or what you need to be considering. So the first question, where in your life do you need to remember that grace is opposed to earning? So many of you here believe that your life is made up of the things that you have the strength to do, that Christian life is one about working hard. Some of you actually carry that burden, and it's exhausting, and you're done with it, but you can't seem to get out of that loop. Well, starting now. Where in your life do you need to remember that grace is not opposed to effort? Perhaps Jesus is calling some of you to learn how to walk in step with the Spirit, to live in light of the Spirit. What might Jesus be calling you to in your life to keep in step with, to grow up into Jesus Christ? How might Jesus be calling you to participate? To participate in a way that is not a heavy burden, but is an is easy yoke. Next question, where do you sense Christ's spirit at work in your life? Perhaps there are already ways, and there, I would suggest that there are lots of ways that the spirit is already at work in your life. But then these next two questions are critical. In what ways are you participating with that work? So how are you actually continuing to entrust yourselves to the work of the Spirit? How are you learning how to abide and remain in the love of Jesus? So in what ways are you participating? Also an essential question, in what ways are you resisting that work? Often when, we, when the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, it, it butts up against something. For me, honestly, so many issues relate to my wanting to control specifically time because there is not enough of it and we are constantly losing it. So I want to control and hold on to time. And so when I come up against, and I think that this is, this is honestly one of the places that Jesus is always at work. When something impedes or interrupts or gets in my way, I feel internally an absolute resistance. 
And if there is a person involved in that, and usually it is, I am totally nice out here, completely. You would never know. But inside, I am thinking, how do I get out of this? How, where can I go? I need to somehow hold on or keep precious control over this resource. That is not a resource, it's a gift. Over this resource that I somehow need to have more of. So in those moments, I'm constantly aware of the resistance at work. And that is a place for formation. To open my hands, to be open. This last week, decisions being made that seem out of your control reveal something about you and a way that you think and love, that no, no matter who you are and on whatever side of any sort of spectrum. It reveals something about what's going on. And we have, an, we have an opportunity to attend to whatever is happening and think, totally right, no, 100%. Those people, dumb, lame, ridiculous, canceled. Or we can be people who attend to the potential work within us of what's going on, of what this has revealed about us, and entrust that to, the, to Jesus, to the work of the Spirit, and ask, God, what might you be doing? Or what might you want to do? Our lives are a constant push and pull between participation and resistance. That is so much of the spiritual life, and we are called to pay attention to that. In a way that we learn how to do that more and more, and to be people who are open to that posture is to learn from Jesus, how to live and love like Jesus. To be people whose actual outward affect is one of complete love. Dallas Willard talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and he talks about what Paul is saying is that the fruit that the Spirit is wanting to actually produce in us is love. But love needs to be defined. And so, he, so then the Apostle Paul will say that love looks like joy, it looks like peace, it looks like self-control. And so if we're going to be people who, are, who embody the person of Jesus and the love that he has shown to the world, then that can only happen by the type of people we're allowing ourselves to become as the Spirit continues to work in our lives. And so these are my questions to you, is where are you? In what ways do you need to attend to some of these things? Because again, the invitation is true and it is clear that through Jesus, God has disarmed the authorities and the powers of this world. You are no longer, you are no longer enslaved to the flesh but you now are alive in Christ and have the opportunity to live in light of what Jesus has made possible. That is the good news. And thanks be to God that that is true news. So this morning, we are going to have an opportunity to pray with others. Now perhaps some of these, whatever was said, or some of these questions or these verses, uh, maybe it, it initiated some thoughts or some, some sense of, oh, I, I'm not really quite clear on that, or I need help with this. This is an opportunity to pray with someone about these things. The people on the sides 
want to pray with you. They want to pray for you. Because things like this, they just don't begin by trying harder. They just won't. They begin by saying, okay, Jesus, I am yours. My life is yours. And that act of entrusting one's life to God, to Jesus, I mean, it's a life's work. But it's, a, it's an opportunity to begin or to lean into that now um, through the practice of prayer.